Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. We're glad to have you. I'm Steve Olson. I've got Kurt Mortensen here with me. Kurt, how you doing? Hey, it's a good day to master influence and a good day to start a diet. <laughs> oh, no. Is there a good day for that? Well, you know, I spent last week in New York City doing a seminar, and it, the food's so good there. And you got the pizza here. And, of course, you go to Coney Island, you got to get the hot dog. And you go here, and you got to get this food. And, oh, you got to go here, and everyone has their favorite restaurant. And it seems like half the time you're just eating. I think I ate five times more than I normally eat. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> it is until it catches up with you. During the moment, it's fantastic. But the next week, you're like, oh, that was a lot of food. <laughs> I didn't do so hot myself on food over the weekend. It was a big football Saturday. I had some of the friends over. That'll do it. Yeah, it, that'll do it. And I have this brand new fancy grill slash smoker, and I went all out. And we had bratwurst and nachos and ribs. It was a heart attack Saturday. And, of course, there was a ton left over for yesterday. Ah. So yeah. you barbecued the nachos? Is that what you're saying? You make them, and then, yeah, then you smoke them to heat them up and melt the cheese and everything. And it was Oh, wow. Weird. Yeah. yeah. I just a microwave. It's done. <laughs> Never thought about smoking my nachos. I hadn't either until Saturday, and I am going to do it again, that's for sure. It was good wow. stuff. That sounds good. You're making me hungry when I'm trying to be better after a, a week of indulgence. <laughs> Take that. Good luck. Well, it's you go to New York City and try to eat well. It's so hard to eat well on the road. I've got to go to Orlando this week, and uh, it's going to be tough. I can't just get a salad. You know, you're traveling you're waiting in airports they don't make it easy to eat right well not only that orlando's such a tourist trap you can't turn around without getting taken advantage of whether it's food or something you want to do they just get you at every turn oh i know i know parking <laughs> at universal studios or or wherever you got to go it's it's an expensive place to exist you got to have a lot of cash in your wallet just to walk around <laughs> so your cash like oh you want to breathe our air let me tell you what that's going to cost you like, it's customary oh. to tip the air yeah thank it. you for that yeah. oh you want to drink our tap water well <laughs> they just get you at every turn yeah they certainly do so did you have any good persuasion experiences in new york you're in times square area i imagine there is plenty on display there Oh, they're always getting you in every turn from the theater tickets to the food to the people dancing in the street to the to the tourists, of course, and you try not to look like a tourist. And I get there three or four times a year. That's where my publisher is. I do a couple of seminars there. And so I've got the general lay of the land, but there are some people there. You're like, obviously, they're tourists. I feel bad for them because they have these big targets on their head, and they get the dark forms of persuasion and influence. They get hustled, yeah, because those dark forms work really quick and easy, and that's what these hustlers are after. <laughs> they do. They know the drill. They're good at what they do. That's right. Well, I will be at a trade show in Orlando. I'm going down there with a couple of coworkers. We're speaking to a whole audience of self-directed IRA investors, and we will be exhibiting and seeing all of the other people and all the other speakers. So I will no doubt be coming back with a whole slew of blunders and ninjas and all kinds of awesome stuff to share with the listeners. No, yeah, that's what we want. Combination of fixing the blunders and becoming a ninja. I'll come back with all that and probably anywhere from 5 to 10 pounds. There we, that's right. You'll be on the road. That'll do it. <laughs> that's going to do it. Well, 
We want to thank everybody again for listening to the show. Everything's going fantastic. Lots of downloads, lots of people commenting, enjoying the show. You can send us any kind of feedback or questions or suggestions to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. We are on iTunes. We are on the Windows Marketplace, on BlackBerry, on Stitcher. Or you can just go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com, and there you can download the episodes, listen to them, read our blog posts where we sum up the show really quick. But there's nothing like listening to it. You should definitely be listening to the podcast. But if I have to tell you that, then you're not going to hear it in the first place because you're not listening. Well, there was a pretty cool article I thought was funny that I wanted to share with the listeners. It was on Psychology Today. Basically, I'm sure our listeners are familiar with the term selfie. <laughs> okay, Selfie is where you take a picture of yourself. Got to come up with a better word than that, but I guess that's the one everyone's using, so it's going to stick for a while. Well, it's going to stick, and plus it's really lame, so you need a lame word for it, don't you? <laughs> I guess that's true. Lame thing for a lame word. I, okay, I'll buy that now. <laughs> yeah. If you're not familiar with what a selfie is, then you are probably living a better quality of life than I am. <laughs> I find them to be extremely annoying. People put them on Facebook and on Instagram, and it's just a picture of them doing usually something very mundane, but it's, you know, look at me, or it's something completely spectacular, like they're skydiving and they take a selfie, and I'm thinking, you're skydiving. Can't you think <laughs> of anything else better to do than take a picture of yourself? Yeah, shouldn't you concentrate on the landing a little more? Yeah, or, or they're on vacation. They're in Europe or something, and they're taking pictures while they're doing some kind of a world-class experience. And I'm thinking, you're so busy showing other people how great you are with your selfie that you're not enjoying your life at all. And that's why selfies tend to drive people crazy. So there was an article in Psychology Today talking about this and the likability factor and what social media is doing to us. Kurt, you're not a big Facebooker, are you? You just kind of do it a little bit because you were told to, right? Yeah, pretty much here and there, and I respond to friend requests, and it's good contact form. I need to get better, but I know the general in and out. Well, I personally don't think you need to get better, but I think you're living a great life if you're not on it. <laughs> <laughs> For a lot of the work I do, we have some internal communication forms that we use, and, and Facebook is a great way to do that in the Facebook groups, but it means I have to see everything else on there, and most of the stuff just drives me crazy. I found that some people, if I hide their posts, I'm just happier because you have a personality on Facebook and a personality in real life. And, and some people on Facebook, I just can't stand them. Well, that's kind of what's happening with this selfie phenomenon. And a group of researchers in the UK did a study on this. And I'll link to the article in the blog. And I'll just read a brief excerpt from this article. It says, a recent study out of the UK found that the selfie phenomenon may be damaging to real-world relationships, concluding that both excessive photo sharing and sharing photos of a certain type, including self-portraits, makes people less likable. The same study found that increased frequency of sharing self-portraits is related to a decrease in intimacy with others. For one thing, putting so much emphasis on your own looks can make others feel self-conscious about theirs in your presence. The pressure to be camera-ready can also heighten self-esteem issues and increase feelings of competition among friends. Jeez. Mm, Ouch, right? Yeah. No <laughs> sugarcoating there. No, they, they didn't sugarcoat it whatsoever, but I've definitely noticed that. It seems like for so many people, Facebook causes a lot of competition. It really hurts self-esteem, and it makes them just not like people that they otherwise 
would like. And I don't know how we can reconcile this. You've heard the quote from Donald Trump that no publicity is bad publicity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it seems like with the selfie, they're posting it to boost their self-esteem. But whenever he slams them for how stupid they are, then, of course, it sucks the life out of their self-esteem. So it's kind of a no-win for them. Yeah, it's totally backfiring. They're posting it to say, hey, I want some attention. Look at how great I am. And according to the study, it just makes people not like them. Which yeah. would have the opposite effect. That's an interesting study. Yeah, it is pretty interesting. I'll put it on the blog. So moral of the story is everybody knock it off with the selfies. Nobody likes them. <laughs> Nobody likes them, and it's going to suck the life out of you, and you'll go to bed crying at night. So stop it. <laughs> yeah, you go to bed crying at night. Well, Facebook and social media is just a highlight reel of your life, right? Nobody posts, I just woke up in the morning, and I've got morning breath, and I've got to go to the bathroom. Nobody talks about that on Facebook. Yeah, I don't think I've seen I'm kind of gassy before. On a, yeah, on I'm sure maybe some teenage boys do Yeah, that's probably true. Uh, where that's a badge of honor. <laughs> <laughs> but most people aren't doing that, and it's just the highlight reel, and I think that's what uh, makes selfies so unattractive to people is it's just, look, I know your life isn't perfect. Stop trying to make it look that way. And it goes a lot back to the persuasion side where we talk about trust. Your prospects know you aren't perfect, so don't pretend to be. Be real. Be authentic. There are a lot of books out there coming out. I saw one from Harvard Business Review about authenticity. I don't know if you've read that one, but I thought it was a pretty solid book about people want something real because they feel they're just more educated and skeptical than ever before. And they have so many resources at their disposal. They need to know that you're real. They need to know that you're legit. Yeah, real, trustworthy, because trust is an all-time low, and they're looking for that, and they're just not finding it in most of their interactions. It's true, and that leads into what we wanted to talk about today. When we're talking about charisma, which you have a book about charisma, I seem to remember. Uh, Yes, I do. Yes, called Laws of Charisma. Fantastic book. It's on Amazon. Go pick it up and... I don't imagine you'll retire off of that revenue anytime soon, but uh, hey, at least people learn about charisma, right? Yeah, it can be learned. It can be learned. (laughs) There's a funny movie that I like to watch. Uh, It's uh, called Glengarry Glen Ross, and I'm sure a lot of people have have heard of that. But it's (laughs) It's a a, classic. Yeah, it's a classic, and it has a scene in there that is your classic old-school sales training, but they have that sign up on the wall. Great salesmen are born. They're not made. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I think tacky salesmen are born and not made. That might be a better way to say it. Yeah, there you go. Bad salesmen, bad persuaders. I can see that happening. Yeah, they come out a certain way, and <laughs> they just have this manipulative personality about them, and they find that, hey, they can get some quick money out of people here and there. But what I wanted to talk about when we're discussing charisma, been very interesting Whenever we talk about charisma, for some reason, I think about Bill Clinton, because he's clearly one of the most charismatic people ever to walk the earth, right? And while he was president, about half of America loved him. Towards the end, it was a little shaky. And about half of them absolutely hated his guts, right? Mm -hmm. But now here we are, it's 2013, and most people, even if they hated his guts at the time, they've cooled off and they can admit, well, the guy was likable, he's smooth, I'll give him that. That's what charisma will do. And being likable is the biggest part of it. And you talked in your book about charisma, about repelling people. Do you think people like you, or are you in reality repelling them, and they don't really like you? Because you probably don't really know what the truth is. 
I mean, do we really know if people like us? In a lot of cases, yeah, but can't that go undetected? Oh, and most people have the blinders on thinking, yeah, I'm likable. People like me. Oh, they just smiled at me. And, you know, you've heard me say it before that, you know, that annoying person that nobody likes, you know, that person that rubs you the wrong way, you know, that person that thinks they're funny, but they're not. That could be you. (laughs) (laughs) And people don't know. And I guess the big thing to say here is that, yeah, everyone, listeners, you are repelling people. It's easy to connect with people that are like you, but there are other personality types. You are repelling people whether you know it or not. Just because they're nice to you and say, I'll call you back or just looking or more information or good to meet you, they could be lying to you. You have to read and understand that a lot of things you're doing, verbal, nonverbal, are repelling people and sucking the life out of people and you're not being charismatic or influential. So we're not saying to everybody listening that, hey, you're a jerk, nobody likes you, you're, as you said earlier, Kurt, you're going to cry yourself to sleep at night, or whatever it is you said (laughs) along those lines. But what we are saying is that because it's a numbers game, there are certain types of personalities out there that aren't going to like how you choose to do business, how you engage in rapport building and conversation and expressing the features and the benefits of your product. So how do we know? How can we minimize this? And you give some really good points in in your book on charisma about how to do that and some of the signs that you might be turning people off. So we all experience this to a degree, but if you are noticing that two or three of these things are happening, chances are people are being nice to you, but they just don't like you. And one of those was talking too much. And the big picture here is to realize that everything we do is either going to attract or repel people. And most people just don't even think about it. They think they have the gift of the gab and they can talk with anybody. But the study shows with persuaders and influential people who are trying to persuade anyway, they're talking three times too much. What a great time management technique to realize you're talking too much. You're saying too much. You're annoying your audience just because they're pretending to listen to you doesn't mean you're connecting, they like you, or they even want or need what you're offering. That's why I like doing this podcast is I just get to talk and nobody gets to talk back to me. <laughs> <laughs> but that's probably this thing we were talking about with the selfies earlier. This is kind of a form of that because the selfies and the constant overposting of different pictures of them is, is a way of saying, look at me, look at me, look at me. And we all know the most basic people skill that Dale Carnegie revealed was You've got to get interested in other people, get them talking, instead of say, look at me, look at me. That's exactly right. And that's the other point with repelling people is our tendency to talk about ourselves too much. And then we assume what they need and want without asking questions. Then we start vomiting all the features and benefits. We tend to overpersuade and say too much and we come across as aggressive, obnoxious, and even forceful because we're showing them what they need. We're telling them what they need without ever connecting or asking questions. It's all about me, and I'm going to tell you you, what you need and what you want versus finding out for ourselves. Kind of going into one of the next things that you talk about in the book here is showing how much you know. Going into the persuasive encounter or trying to build charisma by showing, hey, I'm an expert. Look how great I am, and just vomiting that all over the person. And that's a big thing that many persuaders don't understand. They think they're confident, but they're coming across as arrogant. And we all know that's a fine line. But when you start vomiting, when you start talking too much and talking about yourself and not connecting, you've crossed that line to arrogance instead of being confident. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And we obviously need to know a lot about our product. We need to be an expert. That's 
part of being credible and trustworthy, but it's just how you present that that is all the difference in the world. So don't be focusing on when on I need to show them how much I know about this, but instead drilling down into what they they need to and get them talking about that. And we'll get into that when we talk about the blunder here in a minute. There's another one you talked about in the book, Kurt, too, that you might be that sleazy guy in the bar. You might be getting friendly too fast, right? Yeah, you're grabbing people too fast. Well, we're not going to go there, (laughs) but a lot of times we do. We get too friendly too fast. We get too chummy too fast, and it repels a lot of people, especially introverts. When you touch things on their desk or you sit in their chair, this can cause a lot of resentment, and it repels people. You have to realize that it might take people a little while to warm up to you, to to like you. Part of that, too, is the studies show that a lot of people are taking a lot of their personal items home because they were taught in old school persuasion, hey, find something you have in common or talk about the trophy, talk about the golf clubs, talk about the fish on the wall. They're taking them home because every persuader, hey, did you catch that fish? Oh, what a beautiful family. Oh, do you golf? And we've talked about this before, but until there's that connection, you need to be very careful that you're getting too comfortable too fast, that you haven't developed the relationship even though you think you have. Yeah, I believe that was one of the blunders on one of the past podcasts. And Just because that fish is up on the wall doesn't mean you've got permission to talk about it until exactly. there's a connection. Yeah. Well, how is that different than another point you made in the book about, see, we're getting too friendly too fast. What about getting too comfortable too fast? How is that different? I think you can put those together because you think you've made that connection. You get comfortable, more laid back. Maybe you're not mirroring and matching them. Maybe you're talking about things you shouldn't be. And nothing's worse than that person that thinks you're best friends and you're like, you know, I don't even like you. Why are you telling people we're best friends? Why are you acting this way? Why did you come over? Who are you? And it just has the opposite effect. Oh, I know. I've met people like that, that they just, they act that way and it's, you feel like you want to take a shower. Yeah, not with the person, but because of the person. You have to clarify (laughs) that. Yes, just just so you know, listeners, not with. (laughs) If it's with, then I think they got friendly at just the perfect rate. Yeah, that'd have to be in a whole other episode. Yeah, they knocked it out of the park there. Another point is too old school. What what do you have to say about that? If you're somebody's getting too old school. A lot of the things people learn in persuasion and negotiation just don't work. Like we talked about before, people. One authenticity, trust is an all-time low, using an old-style closing skill, a bad intro, I've got it, what do we have to do to get you in a car today? Man, we got to ban a lot of these things for cheesiness. It's just so bad, so old school, it creates an instant disconnect, but, you know, even a blind pig can find food, meaning it still works every once in a while, but for the majority of the time, people are going to judge you as arrogant, distrusting, condescending, and it has the opposite effect. You have to be up to speed on the new culture of persuasion influence, how to deal with different personalities versus an old, tired persuasion technique. There are plenty of them out there. I like how you say we have to ban them for cheesiness. <laughs> Your prospects, they are lactose intolerant. So <laughs> go, go easy on the cheese, okay? I've, well, I've always said, well, if a doctor can get sued for malpractice, a persuader should be able to be sued for cheesiness and a bad persuasion techniques because you're like, really? You're a professional and you're using that? It's just too old school. Have you ever had one of them use something on you where you almost could not resist the audible groan? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That was so bad. 
<laughs> it was. And I've done that before, even in negotiations. Like, are you really using good cop, bad cop on me? You know, that went out in the 70s. Oh, no, 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 we're not. I'm like, no, that was good cop, bad cop. Come on, guys, get a new tool. Yeah, good cop, bad cop. That is very old school. Well, then finally, one of the other things that you should be aware of if you're trying to figure out if people really like you is the proxemics. And we talked about this in one of the other episodes. How would that allow us to know, okay, do people really like me or not? Well, obviously, if you're standing up and the close you get, or maybe we should remind our listeners that proxemics is a study of space. When you violate somebody's space or they don't like you, they're going to want more space. So the more connection you have, the more they're going to let you in their personal space, whether it be where they're sitting or into their office, into the boardroom, into their car, how close you're standing, are their shoulders squared up with you, are their feet pointing towards you. There's a lot of things you can do with this distance. When people don't like you and don't trust you, they're going to want more distance. But when there's a connection, there's less personal space people need and want. And we have to be very careful of reading this, understanding different cultures in space. And when we can do that, we can get a sense when that connection's made, then we can continue on with the persuasion and influence process. Yeah, so much of that is cultural. But when you understand what the culture is of the person you're trying to persuade, and then proxemics, that wall goes down, they allow you into the space that's culturally acceptable, that's a good indicator that they do like you because you can look at the the body language. It's just fun when you go out to a restaurant and you see two people on a date and just watching the body language. You don't even have to hear what they're saying, but you can tell how that date's going every time. <laughs> even in seminars, that's a lot of the ladies in the room. I said, have you ever gone on a date with someone and after five minutes you knew you didn't like them, but at the end of the date they still try to go for a kiss? <laughs> <laughs> that's that inability to read that disconnect, to understand proxemics and to read body language because, well, maybe guys only have one thing in their mind, but the reality is they have not read their prospect in a dating situation. <laughs> prospect. <that's... laughs> <laughs> maybe that, I might get in trouble for that one. But anyway, I'm not even going to go on on that Ladies, one, send so. your hate mail to Kirk at uh, MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com because yeah, he did deserve... refer to you as a prospect. Yeah, I deserve that one. Go ahead, <laughs> send it in. I, I chose the wrong word, and we'll talk about verbal packaging another time. There you go, there you go. <laughs> well, just to review then, we're, we're talking here about how do we know if our prospects or if the people we're working with really like us or not. And a couple of the red flags, are you talking too much in your persuasive encounters? Is it just you and they're just kind of sitting there, not really doing anything, giving you, mm-hmm, yeah, sure. Are you focusing on, okay, I have to prove how knowledgeable I am. That's a big red flag right there. People aren't going to like you because of that. Are you getting too friendly too fast? really trying to get into the personal life before you've established any kind of value? Are you getting too comfortable too fast? Getting into their office, getting into different things that you shouldn't, that's kind of the same as the first one. Are you too old school? Are you using persuasion techniques that you would not use on your mother? (laughs) That's usually my measuring stick. If I would not say that to my mother, then uh, it's just because, you know, your mother will call you out on it. That's for sure. And then proxemics. Think of the culture that you're in. Think of personal space. Are people keeping you away physically, depending on that culture, obviously? If these kinds of things are happening, you've got a problem with the likability factor. And we're not going to be able to get everybody to like us every time. But we can certainly all improve upon it. Well, well. Good deal. Kurt, uh, I think we've got Homer Simpson coming up here. Go, go, go! Oh, there it is right there. Yep, Homer, dope. (laughs) (laughs) 
We've got a blunder incoming, don't we? We love the blunder because we're improving the blunders as our listeners become power persuaders. Ideally, as we do this podcast more, we're going to have less Homer Simpson moments and more ninjas. Absolutely. Yeah, so you've got the blunder today, Kurt. Tell what uh, has got you so bothered. What did Homer do now? Well, this is a big picture blunder because, as you know, one of the fun things we get to do is to do secret shopping. We kind of test different persuasion techniques. We look for persuasion ninjas and... Too many persuaders out there take the objections a little too fast, and they take them at face value. So I go to the mall. We went to jewelry stores and clothing stores and shoe stores and sporting goods stores, and we were approached, of course. Someone says, okay, what about this and this? And we tried, oh, just looking. And I would say the majority of the time, over 90% of the time, is like, oh, okay, come back later, or here's my card, or let me know if you need anything, versus that's a knee-jerk reaction. Anybody going to a clothing store, I'm just looking. You say that sometimes, you're like, oh, well, wait a minute, I needed some help. But then the person walks away. And the blunder is accepting that at face value, number one. And number two, that's the wrong question to ask. You need a more specific question to get the person engaged, to get them in your world and realize that I'm just looking 67% of the time is a lie. They're just getting rid of you because that's what they're taught to do. That's what they're trained to do. That's worked for them in the past. And it was amazing. Over 90% of the people took that at face value, didn't say anything else, didn't ask anything else, just left. They lost the prospect. They lost the sell. They lost the inability to persuade just because they believed the person and that knee-jerk reaction. That's pretty interesting. So what's the solution? What Instead of saying, how can I help you today, and the person says, just looking, what, what do you do next? It's got to be a question that engages them, number one, or you just have to realize that that's just a knee-jerk reaction. What's the most important thing about buying a wedding ring today? What exactly are you looking for? You know, specific questions that get them engaged. So you've come in today. What is the most important thing? What exactly are you? How can I? And then you fill in the blank to get them engaged, to get them talking. Because if they say they're not interested or just looking, what does that mean? They're in the store. They're there. They're there for a reason. You can't just walk away and think they're not interested. They've walked into a retail store, they're interested in something, they're looking for something, and when they say, I'm not interested or just looking, it's not true. You have to ask a question that engages them about specifically what they're looking for, why they're in the store, and how you can help them out. That's, that's absolutely true. When I go shopping with my wife, inevitably at some point I get bored following her around. I yeah. think that's universal. I'll, that's I'll, universal that's instinct. for me too. Yeah, right. <laughs> and so what? You're left to wander around the mall or wherever you're at, and naturally you're going to get bored and you're going to go, okay, I'm going over to this store because I might remotely be interested in something that's in there. You didn't just wander in there to kill time. You would go into stores that you have some kind of an interest in. I guess if you're in that kind of a persuasion atmosphere, yeah, you have to have more engaging questions, not something that can be dismissed so quickly. And that's a great point. You're there for a reason. You didn't walk in going, I hate this place. I'll never buy anything here. I don't want to be here. You're there perusing, looking around, something that's grabbed your attention, something you bought in the past, an experience you've had in the past, a commercial you saw, somebody else that owned a similar product. There are things they can ask you to draw you in because they spent all this money on marketing. You're in the store. You're a goldmine to them. And for them to offend you, ask the wrong question, to repel you, to send you on your way or not help you in the right way, that's costing them hundreds of thousands of dollars and they don't even know it. Absolutely true. I was at a, a mall in Las Vegas with my wife a couple of weeks ago when we were down there and she was off looking who knows what 
needless markup. I call Neiman Marcus needless markup, but <laughs> she was doing something and I went into a sports paraphernalia store and I walked in, Hey, how can we help you? So I'm just looking around and they retreated. We're not going to bug this guy. But you know what I thought would have been the most effective question ever it would be, Hey, welcome to our store. Who's your team? Oh yeah. I mean, who's your team? Who's your favorite sports hero? Who was your hero growing up? Something to engage them in the conversation and get those emotions rolling. Oh, yeah, and it would. It would in a heartbeat. They'd light up. They'd tell you about their team, why they like them. And, and when the salesman is interested like that, you get the person talking. You know, a lot of people would buy something. I think that that'd be a very effective question. That'd be a great question as long as they didn't say, oh, that's a lame team. Who are you, stupid? That <laughs> As long as they didn't pull you down and tell you that, that's a bad team, they'd be okay, as long as they agreed and at least supported you somehow. Right, they didn't do the, yeah, I caught an 80-pound shark off a of Montauk, that old oh, line. Yeah. That one from the old Office episode. Yeah, right. Famous, you bet. <laughs> <laughs> but see, and even better, we're kind of getting into this in a little more detail than we wanted to, but if you're studying your product, let's say you work in a store like that that sells you know, different sports teams, hats and jerseys and whatever. You should probably be watching games, or at least have them on and pay a little bit of attention. Because what if somebody came in, and I'm probably way above the pay grade of these guys, Kurt, but I'm just saying it for argument's sake. What if somebody comes in, you say, what's your team? They say, Yankees, or whoever. You say, oh, that game the other night. I mean, how much more credibility and likability do you have with that person just instantly? It's instant. Or if they say something like, oh, I like the Yankees, and the person says, they play football? <laughs> it, w it would not be good. You should you know, be a product of the product and know the mindset of your consumer versus just, oh, going through the motions, and hopefully you might persuade somebody. Yeah, I know we're going above the pay grade, a lot of these employees at these types of stores. But, wow, if the corporate division of that, if the marketing and the sales training could somehow institutionalize that type of culture, that type of store would just go through the roof. It would be amazing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's all we've got today, everybody. Kurt, any parting words? Just remember, everything you do attracts, repels people. Be very careful that you don't get stuck in exaggerating the details or asking questions that are too personal or unnecessary. Lack of enthusiasm will do it. If they sense your fear of rejection. All those type of things will repel your prospect. Of course, you're not going to say, you know what? That question really offends me. That's not going to come up. I'd say 99.9% .9 of the time you've repelled them, they're done, and they're going to have that knee-jerk reaction you don't want to hear. Oh, just looking, it's too expensive. I need to talk to my spouse. Come back later. Go to your website, which we know most of the time are lies. And if for no other reason, if you don't take what we said today, you are at serious risk of being featured as the weekly blunder on the show, which would be the worst of all. So true. We're going to start naming names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, good. Thanks again, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. All right. See you next time.